This is Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where each week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week we'll be speaking with Mike Stabile of the Free Speech Coalition. ASB Marketplace is the first platform where you can buy and sell adult sites and domains for free. ASB Marketplace allows buyers and sellers the chance to come together on properties that are valued below our company's minimum of $50,000. Don't pay for other marketplaces when ASB Marketplace gives you this service for free. Visit ASBMarketplace.com and sign up as a seller or a buyer today. And, of course, there's ASB Cash, the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage where you can earn as much as 20% of our broker commission referring sellers and buyers to us at Adult Site Broker. Check out ASBCash.com for more details and to sign up. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer for sale a growing and stable European tube network. The sites went online over 10 years ago, and the traffic has grown ever since. All of the traffic is from SEO. No traffic has been purchased. This is a great opportunity for a potential buyer to add to the traffic immediately. Because of the high quality of the content, targeted to German and Italian languages, Google has placed the websites in good search positions. There are over 600,000 hosted videos. Around 400,000 of them are uniquely titled. There are also about six months of videos already translated and ready to upload so the new owner will have an easy transition. This is an opportunity for the buyer to get stable traffic and easily grow if they put some effort into new SEO techniques and buy traffic. Because the owner would like a fast sale, he's instructed us to slash the price from the previous $595,000 to only $165,000. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Mike Stabile of the Free Speech Coalition. Mike, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Now, Mike is a journalist and documentary filmmaker who's written about and advocated for sex workers and sexual speech for over a decade. His work has been published in a wide range of places, including The Daily Beast, Salon, BuzzFeed, Playboy, and The New York Times. Seed Money, his documentary on pornographer and philanthropist, that's a hard word, in the morning. Chuck Holmes was named one of the best documentaries of 2015 by The Advocate. Stabile founded Polari Media to help non-traditional communities and businesses better communicate with a mainstream audience. He's handled communications for the Free Speech Coalition since 2013. By the way, you're doing one heck of a job. Um, the uh, Free Speech Coalition's mission is to protect the rights and freedoms of both the workers and businesses in the adult industry. Their organization functions as a resource, a leader, and a tool for the communities that they serve. They take pride in fighting to alleviate the social stigma, misinformation, and discriminatory policies that affect those who work in and adjacent to the adult industry. For more than 25 years, they've been fighting and winning impossible battles from the Supreme Court to the ballot box and back again. Uh, 
Our industry is almost constantly facing scrutiny and attacks, but we've seen firsthand that when we come together and fight, we win. So um, how was that for a commercial for the FSC? <laughs> that was great. Thanks for the kind words as well. Oh, hey, you know, I, uh, I, I love what you guys do, and I, I believe very much in your mission. Um, so how did the FSC first get started? So it's, it's funny because the FSC, um, got started in an environment not so dissimilar from the one that we, uh, face today. Uh, it was in the early nineties. Um, the department of justice, uh, the FBI in conjunction with, um, local vice squads, <laughs> uh, was we're raiding adult businesses. So, yeah. uh, you know, if you remember back in the mid eighties, there had been the Mies commission report and oh, the sure. Reagan administration had gone after adult businesses quite mm-hmm. aggressively, you know, in, in terms of, uh, sort of launching a culture war, uh, wanting to take down the growing at that point, VHS business. Yeah. And they, uh, instituted after the report came out, uh, a policy of going after um, pretty much <laughs> every big adult business that they could think of, you know, that they could mm-hmm. reasonably bring in. Um, I think that, you know, in the early nineties uh, they took down what, what they would do is they would go after an adult business. They wouldn't often be able to get a conviction, right? So sometimes they would go after sure. a, a, you know, say that somebody was making films, um, you know, obscenity prosecutions are really, really hard. Um, and so they, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have success, but when the federal government is coming after you, it's tremendously expensive, right? And yeah. so what they would do is they would make it more expensive. They would, you know, they would, the FBI would order videotapes to Utah. They'd order videotapes to Alabama. They'd mm-hmm. order it to North Carolina. And then a distributor would send those videotapes out and they would suddenly launch multiple prosecutions in multiple states you know, try to fight the federal government in, in a court of law and yeah. you're going to quickly go out of business. You're just not going to have the resources. Oh, yeah. So a lot they of don't businesses have, they don't just have started to pay this. their they don't have to pay their lawyers. <laughs> we no, do. Absolutely not. <laughs> and they've got a ton of them. So yeah. what we saw was a lot of businesses were um starting to uh just fold and settle. Yeah. And the Free Speech Coalition started originally as a legal defense fund. Mm-hmm. So that people could fight back, you know, so that if they struck one business, that other businesses were, you know, sort of mutual aid society coming to their defense. It meant that they could share resources in terms of lawyers, right? That we could understand yep. how to beat these charges back. So that was how it originally began as a defense fund. As the, you know, uh, as that the, the culture shifted, um, it became a trade organization. And mm-hmm. started focusing on, um, you know, not just uh, individual legal battles against individual companies, but against discrimination industry wide, against laws that um, you know were discriminated against adult businesses, like the twenty two fifty seven regulations, mm-hmm. or um, things like in in California. One of our, our early victories was against a sin tax, which would have levied a twenty five percent tax on adult content. So it, you know, I think that we really grew as an organization in response to the challenges that were put forward to us. Um, later, obviously we would deal with, um, you know, launching a testing system 
Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the, to test adult performers, to fight right. HIV AIDS. Mm -hmm. We, um, again, dealt with raids in the early 2000s with the Bush administration, over 2257 records. We, yep. uh, we recently, you know, uh, we even went to the Supreme Court at one point and, and won an important victory over what we would term sort of barely legal. There had been a law passed in Congress during, in an omnibus bill saying that if a actor looked underage, that it was child pornography. And so, oh, um, yeah, you know, yeah, I remember you know, that. So we had, we had to fight a lot of things, um, in order to protect our industry. And, you know, today, as I mentioned, we're, you, we're in the middle of a culture war again, and we're seeing a lot of legislation attacking our industry. So we're, you know, feeling that, you know, despite the challenges, uh, you know, that, that we're as vital today as we were 30 years ago. I agree. Now, it's funny, you mentioned the Reagan administration and the, and the Mies Commission. You know, the more I read, um, and then I think back, and I'm, I'm in the middle of Andrew Yang's newest book now, um, and I don't remember the, the issue that he was talking about with Reagan on this one. Um, I'm, oh, I do. Actually, it was, um, I think it had to do with re redistricting, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you wonder what the country would be like if there was no Ronald Reagan. You know, you wonder what the country would look like today. If Ronald Reagan had never been president, hell, I was living in California when he was governor and he was a terrible <laughs> governor. And then he ran for president. It's like, by then I was voting. I'm like, I'm not going to vote for this guy. He was an awful governor and he's yeah. going to be president. Eh. Anyway, I, I digress. So yeah. how has it, uh, the FSC's mission evolved over the years? Well, I think that, you know, we've evolved as the industry has evolved. Uh, so hmm. I think that. As, you know, um, as we moved, like I said, from the, you know, original fight over individual obscenity prosecutions to really trying to bring the industry into a more reputable place, right? Establishing mm -hmm. standards, um, trying to coordinate across, uh, across different companies, um, you know, looking and establishing mutual defense so that we sort of understood mm -hmm. what the issues were. And I think that that's something that, again, we still see today. If you look at, uh, there are cases being brought against Pornhub, there's cases being brought against OnlyFans, there's, you know, uh, in multiple districts and yep. multiple, multiple, um, states. And what we see is that those companies don't always talk to each other, right? Um, that's true. Twitter is being sued under the same law that Pornhub yep. is being sued on. And, yep. You know, I think that the role for FSC today really is is, is to try to be a central hub for communication. Um, yep. You know, we've we've certainly also moved more aggressively in terms of uh, the rights of workers. It was something that that was mm -hmm. uh, certainly there at the beginning. Uh, once we became a trade association, we had people who really wanted to to talk about how to protect people who were working on set and, and what their rights would look like, but mm -hmm as the industry has changed as performers have become more independent, right? They don't need studios. They don't need agents necessarily. They can That's run true. their own businesses through platforms like OnlyFans and FanCentro and just for fans and, and the, you know, the 30 or so platforms that have exploded in the past year. Um, <laughs> Only <you> know, 30. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a platform for every company at this point. I, yeah. I don't know one company that I work with or anybody else works with that isn't either, you know, running a fan platform or 
designing one. Um, yep. So, you know, that is a shift in our mission as well, right? We need to make sure that there are resources for all of these new business owners, um, yep. that they know how to store model records, that they know, you know, how to do their accounting, that they know what legal recourse they have, um, that they know what the standards are. If you've never been in the industry before and you've never shot anything, but suddenly you have a $10,000 a month OnlyFans account, you may not know about consent checklists. You may not know how to be, you know, an ethical creator. You may not, mm. it, it may not be that you don't want to be. It may not be that you're, you're negligent. It may just be that you're not educated. And I think that that's right. one of the roles that we see for Free Speech Coalition going forward is really helping people who are coming into this industry, no matter whether they're in, you know, Australia or Bangkok or London or Los Angeles, that we're there to help them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned record keeping. And I think a lot of people have the misguided thought that because 2257 is now largely a moot point, um, that they don't need to keep records. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that was something that that people did think. You know, Free Speech Coalition fought. Our, we just ended our 2257 Forever. battle, right? It, it started yes. <laughs> in, you know, it started 12 or 13 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. Again, with a series of raids where the FBI was going into adult businesses and demanding to see their records. And if they missed, if a, a person missed, filed something, if it was filed under S rather than T, or they, they had them in the wrong order, that was a felony under yeah. 2257. Yeah. Um, 2257 was designed to be a tripwire to arrest people when they couldn't get them on obscenity charges. And yep. so we, you know, we fought those regulations. We we, we battled it for 13 years and eventually defanged them. Um, but what you see, you know, almost at the same time is MasterCard stepping in to issue its own regulations. Yeah, so they're even worse. I think you're right. A lot. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you see a lot of people who aren't familiar with 2257 regulations or don't think that they have to keep them um, suddenly getting caught and saying, oh, wait, I do have to do model releases. I do have to. It's not just enough that I verify or that I, you know, that know that somebody's 18 or that they consent to be in it because they've consented here to be in it. I have to document that. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, that's where FSC comes in, um, both in terms of, you know, trying to run interference with MasterCard to let them know what our issues are and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, how to design better regulations, but also to educate the, the community as to what you have to do and what the dangers are if you don't do that. Mm hmm. So how did you get involved in FSC? I got involved, um, I'll do you one better. I got involved in the adult industry in the early 2000s. Uh, mm -hmm. I had been working uh, in magazines in New York. I had moved back at that point to San Francisco and was sort oh, you of live looking. In the, I, didn't, I, didn't even, I didn't even know uh, you lived in the city. It's my yeah. hometown. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I think of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think of it as my hometown as well, even though I, I didn't grow up there. It, it's really sort of my, you know, yeah. where I, 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 I awesome. feel, yeah, uh, it's such an emotional connection. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had, I'd been living in San Francisco. I moved to New York. I moved back to San Francisco. Um, because once you leave California, it's, it's, it can be hard to, yes. <laughs> to stay away. Um, and, uh, you know, was sort of looking for work. I was, I was sort of bouncing around and I had a friend who was doing some freelance work for, um, 
some gay adult companies sort of handling their press releases and things like that. And he couldn't do mm-hmm. it anymore. And he said, oh, do you want some some work? You want some sort of freelance work? And I said, sure. So I picked it up and almost immediately um, felt a kinship. You know, I had, yeah. um, it, it felt like my community. It felt like it was fun. Um, you know, sure. I, I think that I, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a family, it's It's a a small industry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's, you know, people don't take themselves too seriously. Mm -hmm. And so I I sort of thought of it maybe as like a temporary stop. Um, (laughs) and you know, uh, started sort of developing products and, um, started sort of eventually pitching articles and, and writing a little bit more about the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I left in 2009 because I had sort of stumbled across a story that I thought was best told through documentary. And it was about uh, Mm -hmm. this gay porn pioneer, Chuck Holmes, who founded Falcon Studios and had had this Mm -hmm. sort of tortured relationship with the Democratic Party. He was a big funder, um, but, you know, the type of person who, you know, he could throw a party, he could have dinner with Gorbachev, Um, but when it came to, um, you know, being invited to someplace, he'd be asked to use the back door, you know, that uh, essentially, right. Like didn't want a pornographer there though. They were happy to take his money. And to me, it was this sort of tragic story of, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was Gatsby esque in, in terms of like, you, you, you have these yachts, you have these private jets, you have these, you know, homes in, in multiple places and mm-hmm. all of this luxury and really what you want is respect. And yeah. that's a, a story that so many pornographers and, and people in the sex industry have, which is, you know, and gay, and gay people unfortunately. and gay people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that that is, that's, that's absolutely it. And yeah. so, you know, I, I sort of wanted to tell this story. And so I, I, um, I'd been working at a, a company called naked sword, ah. um, running yes. a website, our friend, <laughs> our friend, Tim, our friend Tim Valenti, yes. So I had uh, I launched a, you know, a, a sort of gay news site called The Sword, and was sort of running that, yeah. and decided I sort of wanted to leave and, and work on. This I didn't film. know you. I didn't know you started that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I took off. I moved to Argentina with a mm. bunch of film. I'd shot some early interviews and was just trying to play around with with what it would, uh, you know, what I could do with it, and. Um, you know, and I, I eventually I came back to the States because it just became harder to, sh- I had to shoot more interviews and going back and forth wasn't financially uh, feasible. Yeah. Um, you know, and I missed having 18 different types of toothpaste in the checkout aisle. <laughs> uh, Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 you know, expat lament. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> so I, you know, I did that and, um, you know, again, was sort of doing freelance writing, was was trying to figure out what it was. I, I went and covered the Ira Isaacs obscenity trial in in, uh, mm-hmm. in LA and, yeah. and you know, had a, always had had a relationship with FSC, um, but um, not not a, a, a real direct one. You know, I had mm-hmm. worked on various things for Naked Sword through them. And so I, um, but I was looking for money for my documentary. And so I was hitting everybody up. And I went in mm. one day to um, kink.com. You know, I was in yeah, San Francisco. Sure. And, you know, I loosely knew Peter and I was yeah. going in to sort of pitch him on this. Well, you know, if you know any adult business, they never like to give money away, right? Um, but <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> at that time, 
just happened, as I happened to be in there, um, he got a call from the Huffington Post, um, you hmm. know, about a potential scandal at the company. Oh, and, you know, something was brewing. Somebody was was talking and, and he said, you know, I don't really know how to answer these things. Hmm. And I, I said, well, listen, you know, you know, he'd hung up at that point or I don't know if he'd even taken the call. But um, I said, you know, tell me what the story is. And he told me the story. And I was like, well, that's entirely reasonable. There's no reason that, you know, you should be able you should be hiding from this. This is, mm -hmm. you know, you just need to talk frankly about what this is. And yeah. so he said, you know, could you give them a call? And I said, sure. Hmm. So I gave that's him a call. How, and that's how you became his PR guy. <laughs> and that's how I became his PR guy. The story that's got awesome. killed. I still want him on the podcast. That's good. I will. I'll remind him. He's knee deep in things right now, but hopefully okay. in the, the new year, he'll start servicing and, and sort of be more available for media. So okay. he, um, from then on, I, they, they said, oh, we could use some help around here. So I needed money and I said, I've got to sort of fund the stock and I'll do it. And that happened to be, and I, um, a time when there was just a lot going on at kink, you know, it was mm -hmm. really in the crosshairs. They were getting ready to, um, they had worked on a documentary that James Frank Franco had produced. It was coming out at Sundance. Um, there were, you know, uh, a number of issues that were happening in the, the larger adult industry regarding testing and, and mm -hmm. set safety. And, um, you know, while working with kink, he, he sort of contacted FSC and said, Hey, listen, you know, I think that you, should work with Mike. Um, I think that nice. he would help with some of the issues that you're having. And so I started working with FSC and, um, you know, from there, our relationship really blossomed. I really felt strongly about, uh, free speech coalition, about sexual speech, about the rights of sexual minorities, about the rights of workers mm -hmm. and was adept at communicating that with, uh, with the mainstream media. And that was sure. something that coming from a, you know, a journalistic background, um, felt, you know, like I'm, I'm in my zone here and, right. and, you know, I've been there ever since, you know, we, we, we've worked on multiple campaigns. We, mm -hmm. we sort of bought, fought back prop 60 in California and, yeah. um, I couldn't be happier. Awesome. So what are the greatest threats facing the industry today? I mean, I think that, you know, the, the, the greatest, <laughs> I mean, the same threats that face the industry, the, the, the threats that face the, the entire world at this point, which is sort of misinformation and, um, you know, and uh, moral panics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that we are looking at a, you know, a culture war that we haven't seen in 20 years um, and mm -hmm. maybe haven't seen in, in 30 years. I think that, you know, the, the closest approximation that we have right now to the, the sort of multi-pronged fight, you know, and that is we have legislative battles on, on Section 230 going on yeah. in the House and Senate. We have age verification regimes being instituted mm -hmm. in, you know, the UK and Australia yep. and Germany. Um, we have uh, the evangelical and, and faith-based groups like Nicosia and Exodus Cry um, <laughs> pressuring the banks to deplatform things like Pornhub and OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it's, I've never seen it this aggressive. I think that no. I, I, I often think that last year, you know, last year being to 2020, right. Um, right. 
And I, you know, I should I should point out we're doing this in December of uh, 2021, so this will run in the spring of 2022. Go ahead. <laughs> so in you know in early 2020, I started watching. Um, you know, I monitor you know hundreds of, of publications a day, so I'm I'm, I'm going mm. through in the morning, wow. looking through all of these things. Um, you know, mostly you're sort of scanning headlines and, and things like that. But I've mm -hmm. uh, a pretty aggressive monitoring service that will click in and say, I've got to read this. And so I would see this stuff bubbling up about trafficking hub and, and, you know, these, these claims being made about Pornhub. And I thought, God, this is just so idiotic, right? Like this Stupid. is so misguided. It's not, it's not based in fact, it's not based in anything statistics. It's just sort of these evangelical groups um, running a censorship campaign, right? That we've yeah, seen trying to get rid of porn. Over. Sure. Exactly. And I didn't really take it seriously. And, and in retrospect, you know, there it, it was a mistake, but and I don't think anybody took it seriously. I think that we all just thought it was a bunch of jokers. Um, you know, cut to a year ago uh, this week, and Nick Kristoff in the New York Times publishes. Oh, God. Um, I, canceled, I canceled my subscription, by the way, after that second article, <laughs> just to let you know. Yeah. And I sent the New York Times a message like they care. I sent yeah. the New York Times <laughs> a message telling them why I canceled my subscription. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it... Fight, fight back. You know, the only thing you got the only as a thing, tool yeah. is your money. You know, you vote with your money. So, yeah, absolutely. And they, you know, they had put out that that article where he had sort of platformed Nikosi and Exodus Cry did the not identify them. The as children of Pornhub. Yes, the I children recall. of Pornhub. Fucker. Lila Micklewaite, the sexual trafficking activist, um, and and Danny Pinter, yeah, the the legal <laughs> analyst. It's it just it was it was it was so. Um, consciously done to sort of strip them of the their faith-based roots mm -hmm. um and to present this story as if this was an activist story as opposed to a story of censorship and of course nick christoph yeah. has a long history a long tortured history um of you know uh conflating sex work and sex trafficking of savior syndrome and and everything else yeah. um and and of wanting to sort of shut down he's a grandstander exactly. yeah exactly um god bless oregon where he's running for governor. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I heard about that. I wish I could vote against him in Oregon. Oh, well, I know people there. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's an active sex worker community, so I'm hoping that 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 uh, they they uh, take care of him. Um, oh, sure. So, you know, uh, yeah, so I mean, this, you did take it seriously, this sort of gets whitewashed, and then all of a sudden you see Visa and MasterCard withdrawing support from Pornhub and you see everybody else mm -hmm. freaking out. And I think that one of the things that, um, you know, we realized this year and, um, you know, it, is, is just how tenuous our relationship is with the financial services sector yeah, um, and how brutal it is to lose it. If you lose Visa or MasterCard, you lose your business. And Absolutely. it's something that's always been an issue. I remember, you know, even going back when I was working on the documentary about Chuck Holmes, he couldn't get a loan from the bank, right? He couldn't mm -hmm. get a loan for his business. Um, he, he couldn't get bank accounts. Uh, and this is back in the 80s. Today, obviously, sex workers face that that same level of discrimination. They get yep. kicked off of PayPal. They get their funds seized on Venmo. Um, FSC tried to open a, biz a second bank account this year and was told by our bank that we won't take it. You're an adult business. Jeez. And we said, but we've already got an account with you. And they said, well, I'd be quiet about it if I were you. Um, you know, it's exactly. just it, it's it's just that level of, of discrimination that we face. I think that this year brought it into sharper relief. And um, 
and we're not the only ones that that knew that. I mean, I think that one of the things that I've realized as I've gone back over the past year and and as FSC and our legislative committee and our, our, our various uh, partner organizations that, that we work with, um, you know, have discovered is that, you know, groups like NICOSI, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, formerly Morality and Media, know <laughs> is that banks are our weak point and they're oh, sure. exploiting that. And so- sure. You know, I was looking back, and and the president of Nicosi, um, until I think a month ago, was a guy named Patrick Truman. And Patrick Truman, you know, as I sort of dug back, was the head of the task force, the obscenity task force in the Department of Justice in oh, the late wow. '80s, early '90s, um, oh, wow. who went after adult businesses. Right. He's crazy. He doesn't believe it's Christian. He doesn't believe that we have a right to do it. Um, he believes that it's all exploitation. He doesn't believe that adult content is protected by the First Amendment. And Jeez. in realizing that, I, you know, also realized that the strategy that they have right now is the same strategy that they had in the, the 80s and 90s. So in the 80s and the 90s, what it was was multiple prosecutions um, in and sort of denying you access to funds. So yep. they would seize your bank accounts. They would come at you from a bunch of different angles and um, knew that it would take a lot of energy and resources for you to defend yourself against it. That's the same strategy they're taking today. They're using yeah. different mechanisms, but they're going after your banks, right? Sure. They're going after going money. After you. Exactly. They're filing multiple lawsuits. There's multiple lawsuits that Nicosia has sponsored against Pornhub. Right. They're they're trying this strategy to really drain the business and essentially make them, you know, give up. Say it's it's too much work. We're gonna go into something else. And so yeah. um, you know, it it once you understand their strategy, it, it's a little bit better because at least you understand how to react to them. Um, you know, I, I wish I had made the connection a little bit earlier uh, sure. and that the industry had been a little bit more on on high alert. I tend to be a little bit of a chicken little as it is. <laughs> Um, so not everybody listens, but you know, in this case, uh, I, I wish I'd yell a little bit louder. Always. So why do you think we're seeing such a backlash against adult content around the world? I think that we're seeing a backlash because we've been so successful. If you think back to the eighties or nineties, or even the early two thousands, uh, when there was a battle over, you know, uh, a pornography, you know, as you know, becoming sort of more mainstream, right? This idea that like, oh, it's it's becoming more prevalent. People can see it. What does this mean? Um, we should restrict access to it. We should, you know, we should bring them up on obscenity charges. We should do all of this stuff. Um, you know, we've won that battle. You know, there yeah. isn't a there. We don't see obscenity prosecutions happening anymore. Um, even under the Trump administration, we didn't see any. Um, That's true. You know, twenty two fifty seven has been. They defined. were too busy getting in their own way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Pornhub is. Uh, you know, Pornhub was a household word, right? People talk yeah. about porn. Women talk about porn. Yep. You know, we talk about ethical porn. We talk about. Anal, right. you know, on the news. And so <laughs> I think that the, the conservative Christians were really at a loss um, in, in terms of, you know, having lost this culture war. And so I think that this is a deeply reactionary movement, sure. um, you know, an attempt to say, like, oh, my God, I can't believe that it's gotten this bad. And I think that it's also it's not just related to porn. I think that this is a reactionary movement in terms of the progress of um, the gay and lesbian community and the trans community. I think that 
these were all things that over the past, you know, five years really had people, you know, especially in conservative, socially conservative circles, wondering like, what's going on with our world, right? We're losing Mm -hmm. our, you know, our, um, our primacy, we're losing our power. And this is an articulation of it. I think that on a more specific level, as I went back and sort of traced the trafficking hub movement and and traced sort of anti, the rise of anti-porn, what I've Mm -hmm. seen is that it, it ties in almost exactly with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was, if I, you know, this is just sort of loose speculation, um, you know, sure. but what you see is, is that when the pandemic happens, you see a tremendous number of news stories about how people are logging on and watching porn. You even oh, see yeah. public health department saying, um, oh, you should watch porn. You should, you should, um, uh, you know, it's better than going out and having sex. This is a natural you know, way to, to really sure. attention and all the rest. Nobody of ever caught, of nobody ever caught COVID from their computer. Exactly. And at the phone. same time, everybody is home alone or, or it's home with their family, right? Yeah. They're there. And so there's this feeling of, you know, or greater attention to what is my kid doing in the bedroom? You know, what mm-hmm. is my, co- that my college student son doing with the door closed? What's my husband doing so long in the bathroom? What's my wife doing, you know, while I'm not there, you know, or while I'm cooking dinner or whatever it is. I think that, I think that was just sort of this magic brew of, you know, all of this is going on. And then a a general cultural anxiety around sex and sexuality in the household. And I think that that it it helped it sort of gain traction where um, it hadn't before. You know, I think that it, I, I think that, you know, when you look at how it all plays out, it, it, it matches so closely that I think that there has to be something because people are always trying this. This is not the newest argument that we've had, no. right? Like there has always been, there have been conservative uh, Christians who have been advocating against pornography for years. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that, that there was something about the pandemic that really gave it a little power and allowed it sort of to, you know, not to use a too much of an on the nose COVID metaphor, but, you know, escape its old host and, mm. and sort of go into a new population. Um, but here we are. And they had too much time on their hands, I think. So (laughs) what's the FSC? A lot of, um, I I should also, somebody, no, I, I, someone also mentioned that one of the the things that happened during the the pandemic with the, uh, the relief bills is that the cap Mm -hmm. got lifted on, um, donate on charitable donations. Mm -hmm. Um, and for people who were making, you know, donating more than 50% of their AGI. What we saw during the pandemic was the donations to these organizations skyrocketed. You know, this yeah. is a cash cow. Nikosi was really wandering in the the, the wilderness for years, right? Their their big sure. victory in you know, in the past five or, or ten years was getting Cosmo removed from the Walmart checkout line. You know, they were not <laughs> a relevant organization. Um, but once they sort of moved into this, sort of this idea of anti trafficking of child porn, um, they really hit it. And by you know. I think their revenue in the the between I want to say like 2018 and 2020 uh, tripled. You know they're just making sure. so much more money than they were before, and yeah. that puts them in a better position to to do these types of things. Yeah, that's very true. So, what is the FSC doing to fight back? So, you know, we're I mean, what aren't we doing at this point? <laughs> it is a long day every day. Mm. Um, you know, we are a small staff, uh, and we have a lot of volunteers, including often me, you know, we immediately in, in, uh, you know, in late 2020 immediately got on the phone with Pornhub 
um, tried to understand what was going on and on their side mm-hmm. and how we could support it. Um, in by January, we had launched a legislative committee to deal with the uh, spate of new bills that were coming in against Section 230. Uh, mm-hmm. We began sort of monitoring these groups uh, a lot more and meeting weekly to sort of talk about what had gone on, comparing notes with performers and in, in terms of what they're seeing, talking with studios as to what they're seeing, um, and just improving the lines of communication. One thing that happened in COVID is that we all got siloed, right? We didn't have mm-hmm. as many places where we were communicating. Um, at the same time, it also enabled things like Zoom. So once we got our sea legs, we've been much more um, aggressive. I was on the phone this uh, on a Zoom call this morning with um, with sex worker activists in Australia. You know, understanding what's going on with their online safety act and how that uh, you know how that ties in to the legislation that's being introduced in the UK and um, to the the evangelical movement in the US. So we're starting mm-hmm. to draw all of these connections. I think that. Um, you know, we are, we've hired federal lobbyists for the first time in over a decade. Yeah, I heard uh, about that. That's awesome. And and responded to, you know, when when uh, Representative Ann Wagner of Missouri sent a letter to, she sent two letters actually to the Department of Justice, or one to the Department yeah. of Justice and one to FinCEN calling for an investigation into OnlyFans. Um, we responded, we, we sent a letter to Merrick Garland last month you know, outlining just how wrong this is. We also sent it to a hundred members of Congress um, who had signed on to her letter and said, we need to come in and talk to you because this is bullshit. You know, this isn't true. This isn't representative of the industry and this isn't yep. accurate. So we're, we're fighting back on at just about every level. We, we, you know, we had meetings with MasterCard in June. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we have been talking with banking, you know, with payment processors and, and things like that. And also trying to just get the adult industry to understand that this isn't about one or two companies. I think that one thing that you saw when Pornhub first went down, or I shouldn't say went down, but when it was, you know, when it was attacked was that, you know, there were a number of people who didn't feel so nice, feel kindly about Pornhub. And so they mm-hmm. thought, well, my, this big competitor's gone. What do I care? Um, and I think that we also saw that a bit with, with, OnlyFans, right? Yeah. There were a lot of people who said, Very "Oh, it's too bad for them." A but, lot of jealousy. You know, a lot of jealousy when when people are on the top. I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you know, I don't, I don't want to take away from what people feel. Right? These these are companies that really dominate the space. So yes, you're constantly and there's, and there's long. So let's face it, there's long standing <laughs> resentment towards yeah. big tube sites. Yes. And yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of people who still bitch about it instead of uh, choose to work with them. Those that are yeah. still in business. Yeah. And I, I, I understand that entirely. Um, and what we've been trying to say is that this is beyond that. Like this isn't, you know, the, the interfamily battles have to stop. You know, what we mm-hmm. have to understand I agree. is that they're oh, not. Oh, God, I agree. What they do about <laughs> Pornhub isn't going to just affect Pornhub. It's going no. to affect you. And yep. I think that we're making that... Uh, we're making that case. I think people are finally realizing it. The other thing that we do is that we talk to the media constantly. So That's good. we are on the horn, calling up the Washington Post, yelling at the New York Times. Um, <laughs> you know, I like the way you put those two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it is, and I want to be in as many places as possible, even if they're hostile, yep. because I think that, you know, you might 
read an article that's overwhelmingly hostile, but if there's no contrary opinion in there, there's no chance that you're going to change your mind. So right. I think that if, if, if at least we can get a quote in where we're disputing something, even if it's in, you know, uh, the daily caller or, you know, the BBC, hmm. which has become so incredibly hostile to sex work and porn that it's, yeah. it's almost unrecognizable. Um, I want to be there. I want to be there making a, a contrary, uh, opinion in the same way that, you know, I think that, I did as sort of a young gay activist, which was to say, mm -hmm. listen, I'm happy. Whatever lies you're, whatever lies you're telling about my community, I want to stand in opposition and say, that's not how I feel. I'm not no, sad. Right. I'm not depressed. I'm not degraded. I'm happy and, and proud of who I am. That's yes. how I feel about the adult industry today is that I want to be there and say as a testament to what they're saying isn't true. Here's somebody who is reasonable, who can talk about these things, who can understand what the challenges are, you know, that we face online in regards to things like revenge porn and CSAM, and that we mm -hmm. take them seriously, that this isn't a yeah. flagrant, you know, uh, wild west. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Maybe, maybe you guys need to, uh, have a campaign, a, uh, an adult industry pride campaign. I think that's something that, uh, <laughs> No, I'm serious. I think no, that's I something think, something we all need to be more proud of. Absolutely. And I think that it's, you know, as I, I just launched, you know, we we're launching a fundraising team and and, mm -hmm. and working with uh, creators and, and uh, on, on sort of new ideas as to how we can do it uh, or how we can sort of bring in more money. But when I thought about, you know, what is my dream goal with this industry and with this organization, you know, what would we be doing? And, and right. obviously it would be, I want to be at every hearing, right? I want to be yeah. talking to parliament. I want, or, you know, or I want someone from the industry talking to parliament. I want, right. you know, I want white papers. I want, you know, analysis. I want to be able to fight back with data and with facts. Um, mm -hmm. though I understand that facts and data are increasingly irrelevant in this world, <laughs> you yeah. know, but um, you know, the other thing that we, we look at is that we want to be involved in um, a media campaign, right? You want mm -hmm. to be able to do what Pornhub used to do with, um, you know, with their billboards in Times Squares uh, <laughs> and get so much press. But why can't we do that for issues that are that matter to us? You know, the yep. issues of, of sex well, we work can. and, and rights. And that's and with enough money, we can. That's right. It all comes. It all comes down to money. It always does. What can individuals in the industry do to get involved in the fight? Well, I think that the first thing is is the, the, to take it seriously and follow it, right? This is mm -hmm. understand that this affects you and your livelihood. Yep. Um, that if 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 these companies go down, especially if you're a creator, you're going down, right? Your you're your right. income is going to to drop. If your if banking discrimination gets worse, your issue is going to get worse. So yep. I want people involved in that. Obviously, I want them to donate to FSC or be, at mm -hmm. least become FSC members. You know, right. even for five or ten dollars a month, um, that becomes something that is that sustains us and allows us to do this work. Um, but I also just sure. want people to get involved. You know, I mean, I interact with so many people on Twitter um, and have met so many people from so many different areas of the fight, you know, full service sex workers, free speech activists, technologists, um, mm -hmm. you know, and you really want people who, you know, when I, we had a research team meeting for the first time, for a new research team meeting, um, we expanded it and put out a call for people who were interested in sort of doing research. And it was so wonderful to see people from all over the industry say, hey, listen, I want to take a look at scientific studies. Somebody else saying, I want to look at, you know, I want to look at this group's tweets. Someone else saying, you know, um, I want to write, a, uh, you know, an op-ed. These are the things that we need. People, We just don't have, we're never going to have 
enough people to do it all ourselves, you know, from FSC. We're only going to succeed in this if we have the entire community involved. So, Mike, talk about Polari Media. Uh, Give us a little bit about what you do there. Well, you know, Polari Media was a a firm I founded, um, you know, when I was working on my documentary and and starting Mm -hmm. to work with adult companies um, and and other sort of marginalized groups, so sex educators, um, LGBTQ groups, and uh, artists and and things like that, um, to help them access the mainstream media to get their, Mm -hmm. their message out. Polari is a term that comes from sort of late 19th century uh, hmm. British slang uh, okay. that that was used by sex workers and dock workers and the the queer community to communicate in the communicate amongst themselves Interesting. Um, to avoid law enforcement. So a lot of the <laughs> words that we 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 think of today is very common, like drag and camp were early Polari words. Um, And so I I thought of that as I had always sort of been fascinated as a linguistic history. And it it seemed to fit sort of what, you know, I was doing, which was trying to find ways for these groups that had been marginalized to, you know, better communicate. And so I, I, I founded this business and it's always been something where, um, I never really had to go after clients. Um, I often, you know, I, 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 um, I'm a bad business person. Um, <laughs> and, and so have always been, you know, almost trying to lose clients so that I can have more time to do the work that I want to do. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, there's always a tremendous need in this industry. There's always people, um, yeah. you know, whether it's people who want to reach the mainstream media for, um, you know, to get their brand out or something like that, or mm-hmm. whether it's somebody who is, you know, getting attacked in the mainstream media and needs to understand how to fight back. Um, right, which you is know, how you started. I have done a ton of, it's, which is how I started. And it's still sort of yeah. where I, you know, what I love to do. I, I love, right. I love to be in a fight in that way. Mm-hmm. And I love to be able to come to somebody's defense. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's why, that's that was, why you're with that. F- was sort of that's how I started why you're with it. F- it. Sorry. That's why you're with FSC. FSC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. What, what are you most proud of with your participation in the adult industry? You know, I mean, I think that in terms of pride, you know, I really think that our battle over Prop 60 in in uh, 2015 was yep. pivotal. Um, this was a, a mandatory condom legislation. Yeah. It was a, a ballot measure that would, would have um, forced performers to use condoms or they would have faced you know, potential civil lawsuits from consumers. So mm-hmm. if the way that the, you know, the, the way that the law had been structured was that if, you know, they were mad that nobody was using condoms, right? They were, they, they, such a California thing, huh? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, um, you know, they, they didn't care about the testing system. They didn't care about this. And, and largely Cal Ocean, the regulators didn't care about it. Right. Mm Didn't they, they, I mean, in terms of the, they weren't concerned with the adult industry because the adult industry has done a really great job of self-regulating, but there are always going to be moralists who are concerned. What message is this sending to our kids? Right. That Mm -hmm. was essentially where it came from. And what, um, you know, and if you put something on the ballot that says, shouldn't sex workers or shouldn't porn stars use condoms? Well, you know, (laughs) <laughs> everyday people are going to say, oh yeah, I think that makes a good, that, that's a good point. They should do that. Yep. You know, that would be helpful. It was p- pitched as a, you know, a worker protection measure, except yeah. that in this case, the workers hated it. 
Um, yeah. You know, they said, you know, we, we get tested every 14 days. When I shoot mm -hmm. with a condom, it's much more difficult. Um, right. You know, I, I can't shoot as much. It's harder on my body. Condoms aren't yeah. meant for these sets where we're shooting for three hours. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, and to deal with the recalcitrant performance, right? They, I think they thought they were going to come in as liberators. I think yeah. they had this idea, AHF, which was the organization, AIDS Healthcare Foundation, thought they were going to come in oh, and porn yeah. stars were going to embrace them because they had just been, you know, subjected to, you know, oppression by these studios. They mm -hmm. didn't find that. And so the way that they, they designed the legislation was that they allowed citizens to sue, much in the way that we see right now in Texas with the abortion law, right? Yeah. They, they, what the government couldn't do, they were going to empower citizens to do. They're going to empower Ridiculous. them to bring civil lawsuits. So a, you know, if you saw a film without a condom in it, you could sue the producer. The problem was, is that in many of these cases, you know, in almost all cases, performers were also creating their own content. So right. this left a way for fans and stalkers and anybody to harass them, right? To bring them into court, to have to be able to mm -hmm. see them. And so we, this was something that when the, you know, bill was first introduced when the ballot measure was first introduced. We it was seventy five percent support uh, in the the um, in the state of California. You know, in, in early polling, um, we barnstormed the the state, and we did. You did. We, we talked to every editorial board. We we got the Democrats on our side. We got the Republicans on our side. We got the Libertarians on our side. We got the ACLU on our side. We got the Chamber of Commerce on our side. You know, we got everybody that could possibly get on our side. And, you know, within the course of four or five months, we turned that into a victory for us. You know, we were able yeah. to beat it back and it was awesome. tremendous. So I'm tremendously proud of that. I'm also just tremendously proud right now to be what I'm doing in terms of fighting back um, this anti-porn movement. It's something that I have, you know, I found distasteful when I was coming of age um, and yep. uh, you know, in, in the early nineties and um, it's, it's something that I'm glad to be in this fight today. This is a historic moment and um, you know, it's as difficult as it is and challenging. And as much as I wish it weren't here um, yeah. you know, I'm relishing the chance to sort of beat them back. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, you know, to keep their kids uh, safe and give their, give their kids the, uh, the right idea. Their kids shouldn't be watching porn. No, no, and and that's the thing that's so paradoxical about this this whole process is that the most effective way to stop your kids from watching porn or stop your kids from accessing porn is to be involved in their devices and be involved in their life, right? Yep. You know, you can block porn on Pornhub, right? You can you can take down yes. all of Pornhub. You could make mandatory age verifications. Kids are going yep. to get a VPN. They're going to go to a different country. That's they're going right. to go to a file sharing site. They're going to go all these things. They're smarter you than we are. are. Much, <laughs> they're smarter. <laughs> you can be much more effective with filters on your devices, right? With at, at the at, at like, yep. That are going because all adult sites register with those those devices. So yep. if you turn on a filter and you put it password protected, um, you know it's not going to be able to access Pornhub. It's not going to be able yep. to access you know. Uh, X videos is not going to be able to access only fans, um, right. you know, and, you know, you can monitor this, this world, you know, they're your kids. This is your responsibility. Um, you can even block it at the ISP level so that when they're look, accessing Wi-Fi, they can't access it. Um, yeah. It's going to be much more effective, but people don't want to hear that. People mm -hmm. want to hear that there's a magic solution that they're going to take down um, these adult yeah. sites. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, I hear 
arguments I get with uh, anti-porn groups and they say, well, it's, you know, it's like liquor, you know, kids can't just go into a liquor shop and buy liquor and they need to do age verification. I was like, but they can go into your cabinet and drink liquor. Yeah, you know, it, and so the it, this stuff is going to be everywhere, right? They could that this isn't going to be something that is done just by oh we we passed age verification for liquor and no kids ever access it. No, right. it's not a, it. We we understand that this is something that you have to talk to kids about. You have to monitor their behavior. You have to observe it, um, yep. and you have to you know keep it out of sight. You know, you have to keep it so that Correct. they can't access it. Um, you know, and there's always going to be people who are going to try to get around that, but an involved parent, um, can be much more effective yeah. than the government. Can. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck with that in, uh, in 2022. Well, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank you for being our guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk. It was fascinating and I hope we'll get a chance to do it again really soon. Thanks so much, Bruce. I really, really appreciate it. My broker tip today is part four of what to do to make your site more valuable for when you decide to sell it later. Trademark your site. Having a trademark instantly protects your brand and makes your site more valuable when it comes time to sell it. Trademarking your site will cost an average of about $1,500, but should be more than worth the investment when it comes time to sell it. Show buyers ways you feel the site can make more money in the future. This includes showing them future plans you may have, traffic trends, as well as sales trends. If things are growing and you can show them how to grow it more, they are likely to be willing to pay more for the site. Do something unique with your site. If you have competitors, figure a way to do it better. Be different in some distinguishable way that makes you better. Your members will notice and spend more money with you. Make your site a place that people want to visit, not just to buy things or view porn. Be creative, not just one of many. Keep thinking outside the box and make positive changes on your site. Think like a buyer when planning or updating your site. Don't think like a tech. Think like the consumer. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week we'll be speaking with Jack Polo of Mock Media. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Mike Stabile of the Free Speech Coalition. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.